1: Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. I'm Richard Porritt and I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello. Later on we're going to be talking to Jerry Scott about Labour's Brexit difficulties and whether they can uh, try and square that circle. Um, and we will of course be crowning our Brexiteer of the week. But first Steve, some news from the Tories and Amber Rudd writing in the FT is talking about an assessment of migration. What's your take on this? Well, it's tempting, isn't it, to see
2: headlines like this and think, one, the government are making things up as they go along, two, this government is a complete shambles. And while both of those things are true, I think, you know, as Remainers, we need to welcome stuff like this. Um, It would be easy to poke fun at Amber Rudd, You know, what she said has even been contradicted already, hasn't it, or slightly contradicted by Brandon Lewis. But I think that anything positive, anything that softens this pending disaster uh, has got to be
1: encouraged. I think she, I'll, I'll quote her actually from her piece. The UK must remain a hub for international talent. We must keep attracting the brightest and the best migrants from around the world. That would have been easier, wouldn't it, if we'd have stayed in the EU? I guess, <laughs> um, but I agree with you. I agree with you absolutely that that we shouldn't just fling mud at at, uh, at Amber Rudd. We we should say, That's, okay, that this... rhymes, doesn't it? it does, doesn't it? Maybe we're should... flinging mud at Amber Rudd. Well, um, mm. maybe we should try and get more Put in Liam Fox back in his box. <laughs> Uh, maybe this could be a new theme. Maybe okay, I'll try and I'll try and slip a bit of poetry into every week's pod. That was this. running week's. through hay with Theresa May. <laughs> Very good. Um but w- we shouldn't just throw mud at Amber <laughs> 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 As you say, as Remainers, we should welcome good news and this does seem like a, a softening. Will it have the hard Brexiteers concerned? Yes, and that's why it's another good thing, isn't
2: it? Nigel Farage's tobacco-stained face is going to get redder and redder by the minute as, as, as stuff like this comes out. And look, you know, we've we've had the, the thing about the transitional arrangements, yeah. haven't we? Which even Liam Fox, who is you know probably the most headbangy of all the headbangers, has now you know he, when when the, we, we first started talking about transition a transitional period. We were, Liam Fox said it would could all be over in a couple of months, didn't he? Or a few months, I think he said. Let's be generous to it. Um, so what's a few months? Four or five months? Six months? And now it, he was talking um, during his, his somewhat um, pat cake interview with Andrew Marr, I think one of our... Correspondent accurately described it uh, this week. Uh, he was talking about it lasting two years or, or, or twenty five months. He was he was saying it could mm. go longer than two mm. years. So there is a softening out there, and it, and it is
1: going to make um, people like Nigel Farage uh, very cross indeed. Is it a softening because reality starting to bite? Yes, definitely. They're realizing now that the negotiations have started. Is it a case of oh, we were wrong, and now we have to change our position? From those hard brexiteers, or do you think the influence of the of the the remainers? Yeah, the the, the sort of the soft remainers.
2: Well, I think yeah. the election result has given yes. a lot of um, has given a lot of power to the the, the soft remainers, the Hammonds, the, the the Ruds, even you know even secretly to to uh, to Theresa May, um, who's um, who, who's you know our first. Nine months or well, whatever it was ten months uh, was in uh, in number ten was just a, an unmitigated disaster of, of hard brexit wasn't it uh, I think even even Theresa may knows that there's going to have to be a lot of compromises made and, and presumably this will you know this will be part of this will be also be influenced by having to negotiate with the EU and uh, every uh for a week every every month and and to to really see that the the hard position taking the extreme position on, on everything is only going to lead to walking out without any trade deal huge tariffs an absolute cataclysm for the country um so yeah a, a, a softening is is going to happen um whether that is Enough to
1: revive the the sort of the corpse of UKIP. I sincerely hope not, but maybe it will be. Maybe that's probably very much dependent on what happens with their leadership election as well, isn't it? Yeah, it,
2: it is. Um, They're in
1: total. I mean, the the, the the array of talent is is just remarkable, isn't it? It's quite something. For, for a party who's been pretty much in constant chaos, uh, they, they really are on the, on the edge of utter destruction, aren't they? They are, yeah. Um, Brandon Lewis, you mentioned him briefly, he doesn't seem to have got this Amber Rudd memo, does no. he? But I think they're getting better with their message, and there's been, there's been some new appointments, which are interesting to people like me and won't be interesting to you, the <laughs> listener, um, behind the scenes uh, in number 10, and sort of strong appointments as well sensible heads, whether you agree with them or not, who could perhaps get Number 10's media grid back on track because it's been a wayward for some time Mm. now. And they seem to have got some kind of, in the last few weeks, some kind of correlation and some kind of joint message, but still we get Brandon Lewis seemingly talking on the Today programme about freedom of movement ending, still giving that hard-baked steel line and not really clearly having, having seen or digested what Amber Rudd has said. So the confusion remains to some extent.
2: Yes, absolutely. You know, let's let's give them let's give them some credit. It is hard to have a joined up government at all times, anyway. Yeah. It's, it's probably even harder now, while uh, while people are, um, are on beaches and uh, and, and sipping the pr- prosecco, is, appears to be the, the the new
1: phrase, doesn't it, for what politicians <laughs> do in their spare time? That's right. Touching on holidays, did you see Theresa and Phil? Yes on I did. Holidays. There's a picture in the paper as well. With her
2: 26 pound yes. next dress.
1: I, well that what that's what I was getting to. Now there's it's a very nice dress and I am certainly not going to start um analyzing ladies fashion on the podcast. But Go, usually, oh, go on. oh, all right. Well, maybe a little off the shoulder number would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> but usually, when, um, you know, when, when royals wear a, a high street dress or whatever, if Kate wears a high street dress, you do those stories, you see them in the paper, yeah, that, yeah. that they've sold out completely. You won't be able to get a older one for six months. I fear that Next might be pulling that particular Just dress off
2: the shelves <laughs> a large number of returns. <laughs>
1: Imagine if you'd just gone and bought that dress only to see Theresa May was wearing it on her
2: holidays. I didn't see the mail online saying that she was flaunting her curves in her £26 next dress, which <laughs> is probably... Maybe, maybe Mr May was flaunting his curves. Well,
1: to be fair... Did, we, did to... they
2: report on what he was wearing?
1: He looks very smart. You he know, does look a, very smart. He's a very smartly dressed chap. To Just be fair, male male prime ministers have also fallen foul of uh, wearing things on the beach that maybe they shouldn't. So um, that is that's true. We should touch on chicken as well. Now I know that Michael Gove, rather cleverly, actually sorted this problem out in in a, a one word answer on the Today programme uh, when asked if we were all going to be eating Australian chicken. Correct. He answered no, um, which kind of killed killed that but it rumbled on for days didn't it yeah. and so so clearly this is um again a little bit of confusion and we were clearly considering hormone pumped beef and dodgy dodgy whitened chicken why did they wash it in chlorine i have no idea is just it... for just for a laugh yeah, i think just, just d- for fun. just dip it in a swimming pool because it is easier
2: than repeatedly washing it with water right i see so, uh, that... And it gives it a tangy taste of chlorine. Mm. It's, I think it's for-, <laughs> for people who really like swimming. For people who take a drumstick into the pool with them when they go to the baths. Yeah.
1: Yum. <laughs> Yum. But that, that's the sort of thing I think we're going to see well, as we try and rewrite rules and as we try and find new trade agreements. There's going to be moments where there are people we might have to trade with who might not want to or trade with them in ways we might not have to want to. And there's going to come a point where we're not going to be able to just say no to something, isn't there? If we're going to get these trade deals, yes,
2: absolutely. There is there a point will come. Who was it? Was was it Gove who hailed? I think on Brexit morning he was. It's so stupid. It was probably Boris Johnson who was saying that we can all look forward to the return of New Zealand lamb. Which, uh, which kind of, you know, I'm a a man of a certain age. There was new, there was a lot of New Zealand lamb in the 1970s and the uh, and the early and the early 1980s. It wasn't particularly good, I've got to say. There goes
1: another potential sponsor. Yeah,
2: sorry, yeah, that's no good. Sponsored (laughs) by New Zealand lamb. Um, So a lot of the stuff that we've got used to seeing in supermarkets, we're not going to see any more, or it's going to be more expensive and something is and other things are going to have to happen and now gove is fighting this battle michael gove has become a champion of food standards hasn't he but to me it seems ridiculous to say that if you do a trade deal to expect that if you do a trade deal with the usa you are not going to see the some of the stuff that you see in in Walmart and other supermarkets when you go on holiday to the USA. And I'm not talking about all the stuff that you can buy, you know, with guns. guns. Yeah, guns, guns and ammo, basically. <laughs> I'm not talking about guns and ammo. I'm not also talking about Lucky Charms and all those cereals which you can buy yeah. on the high street anyway at vastly inflated prices. But I am talking about the outlandish-looking... Steak that you get Mm. over there, Mm. the beef that you get that you see in supermarkets over there, which we all know is rammed full of delicious hormones, Mm. uh, which uh, which they inject cattle with over there. Um, So so it's hard to it's hard to, to to match up what Michael Gove is saying now with the reality of getting cheap food. Supermarkets wanting to bring cheap food in from America, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, and uh, and still keep those standards that Gove is, is is now a champion of.
1: I mean, the US are just going to say no, aren't they?
2: Yeah, exactly. They're going to say if you want are. if you want a trade deal with us, you need to take our Lovely chlorinated bean. chicken yeah. and our and our hormone <laughs> stuck beef. <laughs> Have a six-foot.
1: God knows what burger. they do to lamb. Vince Cable, congratulations, Sir Vince. Um, he. Had a really tough fight on his hand, didn't he? It was really difficult.
2: Yeah, uh, I think Paul Nuttall might have lost
1: that one. Yes.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I was in Westminster last Thursday, and there was some whispering about who might have won the Lib Dem contest. And I thought, well, surely, <laughs> surely we've all written this story already, haven't we? <laughs> and it was, of course, Sir Vince. What do the Lib Dems need to do now? Because from his initial comments and things, he doesn't seem to be shifting the party to you know massively away from what what Tim Farron did. Um, but that didn't work out hugely well in the last general election. Bit of a sort of score draw, wasn't it? A goalless draw, possibly for the Dems. Well, it was a
2: goalless draw, that's right. Um yes. Um I think I think there's a belief within the Liberal Party that's that part of what went wrong at the last election was Tim Farron. I think there is a bit of a belief in the Liberal Party that part of what went wrong was was Jeremy Corbyn and the sort of the Corbyn surge, which negated any kind of um, any. It was it was very hard. Look, I, I was in this position as a, a hardcore Remainer, long time. Uh, I mean, I've never voted anything other than Labour, but I don't particularly, I don't particularly believe in Jeremy Corbyn. John McDonnell don't come from that wing of the Labour Party, so I, I, I was I considered, I considered voting uh, Lib Dem very very strongly, and in the end I came back and voted Labour purely because the polls were tightening, even though we didn't quite believe them, but there was clearly mm. some kind of Corbyn effect. So I think that I think that that was a factor, and I think that I think that Vince Cable, his, his appeal is of a safe pair of hands. is also you know he's quite a wily westminster bruiser isn't he and maybe you know maybe he can have some hold over the brexit wing of the labor party and say look if you do want to score some points here yeah if you do want to inflict a few symbolic defeats on the government we aren't going to come with you unless you you know you row away from the kind of nonsense that somebody like Barry Gardner was, was spouting this week. Yeah,
1: absolutely. We'll, we'll get to, to Barry shortly. Steve, you will rejoin us for Brexit of the Week. Next, I'm going to speak to Jerry.
0: Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One. Or order online at our website www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry, Fight Brexit. Subscribe to the new European
1: Welcome back. I'm joined by Jerry Scott and we're going to talk in a little bit more depth about Labour's Brexit policy. Basically, I have been confused on it for some time, as have you the listener. and uh, we decided that we would throw it over to Jerry see if she could get to the bottom of what exactly it is. So, Jerry, tell us, what is Labour's Brexit policy?
0: I haven't been able to get to the bottom of it (laughs) because seemingly there is no clear policy. Um, What I thought was really funny is last week, um, uh, Keir Sanama said that people were coming towards Labour's position on Brexit, but how can they possibly be coming towards it when no one knows what on earth it is? There's so many inconsistencies and... I think in different circumstances that probably wouldn't be too much of a problem because you know the government does have a working majority it's slender but it is a working majority but Brexit's defining moment of this generation it cuts through party lines it divided the country almost exactly down the middle so the confusion from the official opposition is really really worrying and we're months down the line at this stage
1: so tell us what happened this week with Barry Gardner who had a pretty good general election actually barry gardner and won some fans but he didn't win uh he certainly wasn't winning any fans in the shadow brexit office yesterday uh with his comments about the customs union
0: no he wasn't so he said that remaining in it would be a disaster um which didn't go down too well either with um case Starmer or also with his colleague heidi alexander who actually wrote back to him in the guardian Um, saying how she respected him, how he was witty and intelligent, her words were, Um, (laughs) but that she completely disagreed and said that Labour should um, be backing staying in both the single market and the customs union. Um, But Barry Gardner spoke really strongly, especially when um, Jeremy Corbyn told Andrew Marr on Sunday as well that there is no clear view on the customs union for Labour yet. He said... That we haven't jumped on either side of that fence yet, so it just—I think it just further goes to show how much there isn't any clear kind of consensus in the party over what over what they should be doing, which is really worrying for Labour.
1: Well, I mean, I've just—I've I've literally just been writing about this, and the, and the the only party that's got a really really clear view on on Brexit are the Liberal Democrats. Yeah. But let's park them for a second. The Tories um, did have a clear view on it, but because of Theresa May's waning power, don't anymore. But Labour have had a a constant, stable-ish leader, and yet no one at the top has really given any guidance as to what the party policy is. That's left, I think, Keir Starmer to try and mould this kind of half soft Brexit without actually saying it because they're in great fear of obsessing this great swathe of Labour voters who also voted Leave.
0: Yeah and if you listen to what um, uh, Andrew Gwynne said at an event at London last week he actually said that the Labour Party trod a very clever fine line in the election to appeal to both Remain and Leave. I'm not actually sure I necessarily agree with that and even if it is true it's probably time to come down on either side now um but I think the reason it isn't clever is that the people who voted for labour in last election a lot of them aren't die-hard labour they don't have labour in their blood and I think it'll get you know if they feel like they're not being represented they'll jump ship
1: yes and and I mean the you know die-hard labour by which you mean I think old-school lefty Labour like Jeremy Corbyn, who we certainly know that there are elements of the Labour Party on the left who who very much um, will have voted Leave. But the party members who were polled this week by the Economic and Social Research Council actually came in at 80% wanting to stay in the EU. So this myth that's built up around this huge working-class, mainly northern Old Labour vote doesn't exist. It's not there. Eighty percent of Labour voters want us to stay in the EU. So surely, surely, it's an easy choice for Labour to make.
0: You would think, wouldn't you? But I think they're getting. Obviously, you need the detail in these negotiations, and that it's really getting bogged down in the detail of staying in the single market, staying in the customs union. Mm. If we're going to have a relationship with the EU like Norway or Switzerland, or if we're going to have a relationship like Turkey, um. I just really think that they need to have a clear line of what what they want. Um, you talk about membership of the single market, access to the single market, which are completely different things and are being spoken about as if they're the same by many. There's so much confusion in the party that how are voters supposed to not be confused?
1: Do you think that during the election, Gwynne, I think he was, who said Labour had tried a clever line? Yeah. I actually think they got a bit lucky because... In in that um, feverish atmosphere of the general election, people just got caught up with singing "Oh Jeremy Corbyn," didn't they? And yeah. they thought we want an alternative, we want an opposition to what you know what we might get, and we want to give the Tories a kick in the balls, and so they voted for Jeremy Corbyn. I don't think it was a endorsement of his Brexit policy.
0: No, I agree. And if you look at the manifesto, it's so vague. It's mm. so vague on Brexit, but I think. Actually, the FT called it an exercise in ambiguity, which I think is exactly right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and the problem is, is I think that ambiguity led a lot of pro-EU voters to assume that it meant that Labour favoured a softer Brexit. Mm. Um, but with things that are coming out from Jeremy Corbyn, from John MacDonald, from some other kind of top rank, it doesn't seem necessarily to be that way. You know, Chucker Romina went on Twitter on Monday and said that the Labour position was getting more and more towards the Tory position, Yeah. and I don't think that's necessarily wrong if you take some of what's being said at face value.
1: It'd be a good quiz, that wouldn't it? Maybe we'll do it in the paper. Pull out who said what, and absolutely. It was, or, was it, it was Labour or Tory? or Tory? Absolutely. And who's to blame then? Because I, I feel, I do feel like Sakia is kind of doing. A, a decent job with bad tools
0: yeah i do as well and i think it almost feels like he's being pulled in all directions yeah. by various people he's the one left with it at the end of the day to try and figure out some kind of coherent policy
1: yeah
0: when when it's kind of chaos all around
1: yes quite so what what uh, just finally jerry we've <laughs> we've got nowhere to find out what Labour's Brexit policy <laughs> is of course i, I, I mean i think the, the answer is that they don't know either but what what do you what do you expect will happen next with this?
0: I expect that there's going to be another election in the next two years, which isn't that far off. And God knows if they'll have a Brexit policy by then. Yeah, well, do home. you know what
1: they might not need one because well, it right. might, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the listeners have been sending in some comments with regards to Labour's Brexit policy. We've had a really good response on this. It's obviously something that has been confusing you guys as much as us, and probably as much as the Shadow Cabinet. I think this. I think Tony Price nailed it on Facebook. Corbyn has a Brexit policy, but do Labour Labour have a Brexit policy? I, I mean, I think that's it, isn't it? That's
0: exactly it. It's completely. It seems to be completely at odds.
1: Tom Bradley, uh, also on Facebook, is saying the message. He's confused on Brexit, quite quite clearly. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> and, and the, the, what we're lacking is some real opposition. Uh, and uh, Theresa Wilson again, is anybody clear on it? I, um, and she includes the leadership on that. I think, I think that's probably it. I think they're hoping it kind of goes away. But what uh, there's an interesting one here from Jeff Hampshire we'll finish on this one. Um, he refers to the leadership of the Labour Party as the Marxist leadership uh, who want a hard Brexit. Um, they're aware that a lot of seats voted leave. Well that is true on the, on the face of it um, that have Labour MPs but they're trying to be all things to all men. Do you think that there is maybe a case of that? Jeremy's just trying to appeal to too many people all, all at the same time?
0: Yeah, it may well be that, but I think if that is the way that he's going and that is the kind of route he's taking, then it's going to come back and uh, give him a bit of a slap in the face.
1: Slapping Jeremy Corbyn in the face. Thank you, Jerry, for that.
2: Brexiteer of the Week.
1: Welcome back. It is now time to welcome Steve back to the pod and crown are brexiteer of the week steve another um, shameful week where are you kicking us off there's a theme
2: there's a theme that i, that I have noticed since i've been looking at at, at, um, at the brexiteer of the week um, which is that people there are ukip people who you almost start to believe are slightly endearing and eccentric And then they do something that reminds you why you dislike them so much in the first place. So, Roger Helmer is a guy that we've talked about before. He is still an MEP, I think, till the end of, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, he's an MEP till the end of July. Uh, he is retiring as an MEP. That is entirely Roger Helmer's own decision. It's nothing to do with a hundred thousand pounds that the uh, EU Parliament wants him to repay uh, because he illicitly employed a UKIP party worker as his assistant. Um, it's totally Roger's own choice. But Roger, you know, he's famous for uh, falling asleep in the uh, in the EU Parliament. He's a ridiculous climate change denier. Um, and uh, and and generally, I mean, and he looks like you know, Cap- he looks like Captain Peacock basically. Uh, but Roger Helmer, in the in the immediate aftermath of um, of uh, Jodie Whitaker getting the Doctor Who job, he tweeted: Doctor Who is to regenerate as a woman, maybe next time as a golden retriever. And you just you know I mean maybe Roger Helmer will regenerate as a human being next time, <laughs> maybe you know maybe the next Time Lord after after Jodie Whittaker will be a sort of real cantankerous old sexist bloke um, who you know sort of falls asleep in the Gallifreyan High Council. Um, I don't really know. Similarly, Michelle Brown, who is uh, is a member of the Welsh Assembly. Michelle Brown uh, was last seen, um, was last seen uh, paying a room cleaning fee in a budget hotel in Cardiff because they said that she'd been smoking cannabis in the room and Michelle's spokesman said, well, she does smoke roll-ups and maybe somebody got confused. But,
1: um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Firstly, legal alert, she completely denies that accusation. She denies the accusation. But more That's importantly, true. what hotels are you allowed to smoke in? Well, I think you are allowed to smoke in some hotels, really? are Or well, maybe you, maybe you aren't. I only stay in the very best hotels. Well, that's, that's right. Um, so maybe the Norwich the- Travel Lodge, <laughs> which is a fine hotel, it is. If for, um, the, for potential sponsorship, <laughs> if Norwich Travel Lodge would like to get in touch, yeah. Um, it is a fine hotel. Well, I haven't stayed in a hotel where smoking. Uh, I, I, well, I don't know. It is allowed. I don't think. Think what you can still ask for a smoking room. Can I you? think
2: you can ask for a smoking room. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I've been in Japan recently, where asking for a non-smoking room, you were looked on as. I was looked on as some kind of freak. So Michelle Brown, who denies smoking cannabis in in this Cardiff budget hotel, as was recorded by one of her former staffers. It was a tape that was made last year i don't know why it's come out I'm very glad it, it did she she's referred to um, Chuka Ramuna and to barack obama as um as uh, coconuts uh, She used stronger language than that uh she quite she seems to, turns out to be a, a relatively unpleasant. One thing I did quite like about Michelle Brown is that on the same tape she was um, she was also recorded talking about why she had um, put her brother forward for an eighteen thousand pound uh, a year job as a uh, care, a caseworker for the Welsh Assembly. And she was recorded saying, um, I've given Richard the job, he's got no experience and he's got no qualifications for it. So that is quite refreshing. Obviously, maybe Richard's next job will be leader of UKIP. While we're <laughs> on the, the, the UKIPers, Nigel Farage has completely ruined Dunkirk, uh, the film, I think, for everybody with his tweet. His other tweet that we everybody was talking about this week was obviously the one where he was holding up a clause from Article 50. I, I, I can't even remember what bizarre part of his credo he thought he defended. It turned out not to be a clause from Article 50 at all. But in the, the thing that really annoyed me about Nigel Farage this week, who is a fuck, obviously, is he, in the same uh, the same LBC thing. He was ranting on about unelected EU people who. Uh, have asked him to repay £80,000 for similar reasons as Roger Helmer and ra- these unelected people, now who are these unelected people he's talking about he, the one he name checked in, 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 uh, in that rant was uh, Michel Barnier who has won 18 elections <laughs> the, you know the, he, the other guy that he, he has it in, in for is, is Juncker who has won 7 elections and he, and let's re- you know, he is the president of the, the European Commission because at the last elections, he was the leading candidate of the party who won the most seats. So let's stop talking about unelected people, uh, Nigel Farage, especially when, you know, all right, he's won. he has won four <laughs> European elections. He's lost seven Westminster elections and he wants a job in the unelected House of Lords eventually. He said he'd do that when he was old. Um, and he said he would rather fancy the job of
1: being the unelected UK ambassador to the USA. So he can pack it in. Um, there was a great piece of social media with Farage and, and Dunkirk. Did you see some chap retweeted it with the comment, my grandfather was on that beach and he worked as an advisor on the film, and he thought you are a, <laughs> a <laughs> Well, so, <laughs> there you go. A best, bit of, uh, best bit of social media this week.
2: Uh, so that is, yeah, I mean, so Nigel Farage, you know, I mean, every every week he finds new ways to enrage and disappoint, but also to, to delight with his own stupidity and the, the ease with which his arguments can be knocked down. The, the, the Brexiteer of the week, and, there, you know, I think there were quite a few in the mix, weren't there? Liam Fox has had a stupid week. Uh, we, mentioned, um, we mentioned Helmer, we mentioned Michelle Brown. Barry Gardner has had a really bad week, as I, I know you've talked about. Katie Hopkins. Now, Katie Hopkins. I think if you've been following Katie Hopkins' career closely, which, which unfortunately I have to do for professional reasons, you will have seen that sacked by LBC. Uh, she is. Um, she doesn't appear on on UK TV very much. She does appear on American TV a lot, but I think even even Fox recently sort of disagreed. With something that she had, she had said. Um, so maybe the fox window is closing a little bit for Katie Hopkins as well. If you followed the columns for Mail Online, they have gone from the full, you know, foaming at the mouth spittle. Uh, uh, stuff about uh, Brexit and immigration and migrants, who of course she described as, as cockroaches, didn't she, uh, not too long ago. And the last, the last few columns for Mail Online, uh, obviously there, there was one about the, 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 the little kid who, which is obviously a really tragic story. There were a couple though about. Um, the royal family, one of them was was sort of arguing that only royals should be allowed in the royal box at Wimbledon. It was a, something a bit different and he sort of went, in the light of all this controversy, have Mail Online told Katie Hopkins to tone it down a little bit. Now, last week she announced that she was off to sea. Uh, she was going on a boat called the Sea Star, which is operated by a group called Defend Europe and she was going to defend the med and and what the the sea star does for people who are unfamiliar with this story is that it disrupts um people who are trying to rescue refugees from the sea so it gets in the way of, of the other boats and um and uh, and it disrupts them and it stops people picking up refugee boats and you know let, let's say incidentally it, it, it improves the chances of refugees um drowning probably doesn't it it's fairly despicable yeah it's not very nice so who, who would have known that the, the crew of this, the Sea Star, the people who were on board with Katie Hopkins, would turn out not to be very nice people? Uh, and, and, and so it turned out. She, she posed happily with one of them. He turns out to be a, a Holocaust denier, uh, uh, a British guy who works in Sweden, and his, his name <coughs> is Peter Sweden. Which I think is possibly not his real name. Uh, some of the other people who she was pictured with or said that they were on there, you know, if you, if you follow the trail on social media. Oh, Dave Denmark. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Prison Planet, obviously, PPP. Um, so, yeah. Before she went, Katie said she would be reporting every day for Mail Online from this sort of carry on cruising of the alt right. And uh, one of her pieces did appear. Uh, then Peter Sweden's Holocaust denying was revealed, her tweet came down, uh, her column came down from Mail Online, It's there's now a 404 error if you try and look at it, and not a word uh, has appeared from Katie Hopkins uh, on this subject since on Mail Online. So is mail, the Mail Online window closing as well for Katie Hopkins? Let's hope so, she is uh, Brexiteer of the Week.
1: That was The New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. The paper's out now. Please go and buy it. It's packed full of great stuff, not just politics. There is art, culture, sport, all kinds of great things in our 64-page tabloid newspaper. Or log on to our website, www.theneweuropean.co.uk. You can find us on social media as well, the usual routes. I am taking a holiday, so next week I'll be leaving you in the safe hands of Steve Anglesey. <laughs>